0: Hey, everybody, it's David Creek. I want to thank you for listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. We're coming to you from the Philadelphia area. And you can check out our website at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Upon proclaiming the Sermon on the Mounts, Jesus comes down from the hillside, crowds are following him all around, whereupon he is approached by yet another despised, ostracised, outcast pariah. Now he had a dehumanizing title that society knew him by, but It was not the title of Sinner with a capital S, as others had been branded in the Gospels. Rather, his title was Leper. We're told that after Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, that a leper, full of leprosy, submerged head to toe with leprosy, approaches Jesus in the open, kneels before him, says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Well, in the ancient world, no disease was as feared or as stigmatic as leprosy. And in the ancient world, no individual person was as deserted, feared, or stigmatized as a person who had leprosy. And there was good reason for that. Because after all, leprosy is a violent, highly infectious skin disease that is known to assault the nerves of the human body. It's known to produce spongy lumps popping up throughout the body. Bones begin shriveling. It inflicts oftentimes a grotesque deformity in the face, causing the individual inflicting them a look that was breathtaking in its outward hideousness. It oftentimes resulted in the loss of limbs. It would cause teeth to erode and to begin falling out of the person's mouth. But worse than even that, though, is that the person with leprosy would be driven from their homes, separated from their families, shunned from society, and isolated from the outside world. But even worse than all of that, whenever a person who had full-blown leprosy would be seen, religious people would almost universally announce and decide that, hey, the reason why you have leprosy, the reason why you are covered from head to toe and you look like the elephant man, is because you are such an evil person. God is punishing you and he's giving you exactly what you deserve. And so for all the people who had leprosy, you were no longer seen as, as a man or as a woman. but Rather, what registered or went, went off in people's minds whenever they laid eyes on you is, oh my goodness, I've got to get away from that thing over there. You were the main events of the freak show. I mean, if a leper even laid one fingernail on you, I mean, medically it was a risk, you might have leprosy soon. But spiritually and religiously speaking, in this age, you were officially deemed unclean. And you were so contaminated that you needed to get away from all the perfect religious people out there, you know? Well, that's what the response was to leprosy. And yet I marvel so much at the difference between the way that people respond to people, especially pariahs, and the way that Jesus responds to the same people. As this leper approaches Jesus at the bottom of the hillside, Jesus doesn't run away. He doesn't recoil. He doesn't say, you better get away from me because I don't want leprosy. rather, Jesus reaches out amid gasping in the crowd. What what is he doing? And Jesus reaches out and he touches the most untouchable person in the ancient world. And what comes from his mouth is, I am willing, be cleansed. And Jesus would have been looked upon as being unclean by doing this. And that's what he does, isn't it? Takes the attention off of us, and he takes our grotesqueness upon himself. That's beautiful. That's Jesus. But imagine it, one one second, you're looking at this guy who you consider to be this grotesque freak standing there. He's covered head to toe in leprosy. Maybe he has a couple of limbs missing, a couple of fingers aren't there, his face. And yet as he stands with with Jesus, though, in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden you see this guy standing there with with immaculate skin from head to toe. Imagine that. And yet, you know, this would not be the last time that Jesus would encounter a leper. In fact, as astounding as Matthew chapter 8 is with the leper Jesus stands before, what he does in our text this morning in Luke 17 is all the more astounding to me. So this morning our text and our message comes to us from Luke chapter 17. As we know, this is very late in the Gospels. Jesus is just about to go to the cross. He knows it. And yet, as he heads to Jerusalem, this is what happens. Luke chapter 17 and verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, Have mercy on us. And so as Jesus has his eyes resolutely set upon the city of Jerusalem, and he has his heart set to die for the sins of the world, ten lepers, Luke says, cry aloud to him from a distance. The ancient Israelites made their exodus from Egypt to Jericho. And now in this village, a group of lepers make their exodus from the colony to where Jesus is. This is either most of this colony approaching Jesus from afar, or it could very well be literally the whole entire leper colony has come before Jesus. And notice in the text, whereas they stand and they cry aloud to him from a distance, they're honoring what the scriptures had dictated. Way back in the law of Moses, Leviticus 13 says, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head uncovered. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days that he has the infection. He is unclean. And he shall be alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp four times in just two verses the law of moses is, is announcing it is it is proclaiming that if you have leprosy you need to let the outside world know how hideous and gross and grotesque you are four times lepers are called unclean in those two verses alone i mean these 10 lepers who approach jesus they know how wretchedly gross They are to the outside world. They knew how, you know, that they were outcasts who were marginalized to the side and made to feel as if they did not matter. No family. No contact with with family or with friends or the outside world. They were discarded by everybody who they ever loved growing up. And yet seeing Jesus, they cry out. And these are the kind of people who we read in the Gospels who Jesus encountered every single day of his earthly ministry. Blind men daydreaming of what it would be like to actually be able to see something. Women who were demonized for medical abnormalities. Children being tormented by demonic entities. But when they see Jesus, they cry out. And how many times in our lifetime, so many countless times we will find ourselves met with pain that is too intense for us to bear on our own strength, encountering struggles and hardships of all kinds, nightmarish, hellish circumstances that are too overwhelming for us to face alone. And remembering Jesus, we cry out to him. As for these ten lepers, as weak and as feeble as their voices would have been, with all of their strength, as loudly as they can, their voices rise, forming this strange and eerie chorus of desperation. As they cry aloud to Jesus, Lord, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I would say for the most part in our prayers, we are accustomed to referring to God as our Heavenly Father. And praise God, that's exactly what He is. And yet when you call somebody your master, you are letting them know that you are the one who has all of the power and the authority here. It's not me. I'm the one who needs to be rescued every single day by you. I am entirely and utterly dependent upon you and without you and apart from you, I am absolutely nothing. And this is the spirit of these ten lepers and this is exactly what God wants for us. And just as he was so willing in Matthew chapter 8, so Jesus is willing in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is willing. And yeah, this is incredible what happens though in Luke 17 as well. There's a stark difference between the way that he heals the leper in Matthew 8 and the way that he heals these lepers in Luke 17. Notice that on this occasion, Jesus doesn't reach out and and touch each one of them. Rather, he's doing this from a distance. Where in verse 14, it says, When when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, as they went, it says that they were cleansed. And so in this we see ten men of incredible faith in the working of God. Again, this is not Jesus laying his hand physically on them and driving their leprosy out by human touch, but rather this is Jesus driving out their leprosy from a distance. He's sending them to show themselves to the priest before the leprosy has even left their bodies. All that he says is, go and show yourselves to the priest. And that is exactly what they do. In Old Testament scripture, you may remember another leper whose name was was Naaman. Naaman had leprosy as well. Now we know that, yes, eventually he was cleansed of his leprosy, but you better believe that it took a fight out of him. He began protesting and saying, why do I have to go all the way out there, get in that muddy creek when we can just do it here on the first time? What do you mean i got to do it seven times? But there are no namens in this group of lepers. Jesus says it, and so let's do it. We believe that just as Jesus said, it's going to happen. And so we have 10 lepers walking down the road. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened. We don't know if it happened 12 seconds later, if it was three miles down the road, if it was just before they get to the priest. We don't know if God healed them all at once or if one got his first and then five minutes later You know, we have no idea. But here's what we do know. Whereas they journeyed toward those priests that they were to show themselves to, by the time they got there, they looked just like you and me. Their leprosy had departed. And I wonder, do we have the kind of faith in God that will act on the word of Christ before our faith has become sight. You see, these ten lepers believe that if Jesus said it, if if Jesus said something was to happen, then then there is no doubt whatsoever that if Jesus says something, then, then all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be made well. And when they did, sure enough, just as all the others Jesus healed in the Gospels, suddenly these ten lepers find themselves in a living daydream. They are now lepers no more. They literally physically walked by faith down that road and not by sight. And yet it is then when all of this takes a very stunning, a very remarkable as well as a cautionary turn. Or in verse 15, it says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. All ten of these lepers had all of the faith in the world. And yet of these ten, there was only one who was a worshiper in this moment. And I think that if it were me, I would probably be among those nine who just would have kept walking. Well, it's what Jesus wanted us to do anyway, right? I mean, it's the most understandable thing in the world that after all of these years spent alone in torment, finally they were no longer these outcasts. They would no longer spend their lives as the main event of the freak show. Jesus has just shut the circus down. He's liberated them from their leper colony. He shut the leper colony down and they would never live in that place ever again. I mean, it's so understandable seeing that in their shoes that it's been so long since we've seen our loved ones. We can't even remember the last time that we saw them or or felt the embrace of a person who we love. The happiness, the euphoria, it would have been indescribable. They just cannot wait to reunite with their loved ones and to just get on with the rest of their lives. But of the ten, for one of these guys, he, he slows his thought process down. I picture him kind of stopping as all the others walk. And he stops long enough to see Jesus in in his situation. And for this one individual, the hugs can wait. The emotional reunion and the hugging and the kissing, that can wait. There's something even more urgent. There's something even more sacred that I need to do. It cannot wait. I've got to go back. And I've got to say thank you, Jesus. I've got to go back and express the overflow of my gratitude in my heart that's welling up and to worship Him for what He's done in my life. You know, if this happened in our age, I fear that the response would have been, well, He just took my leprosy away. Maybe He can give me a two-story house, huh, Jesus? Maybe a swimming pool in the backyard, maybe um, a drop top bins, maybe a bag of cash. I mean, come on, got ourselves a magic genie here, you know. This guy turns around. Now, again, we don't know how far he's walking, but maybe he walks miles back to Jesus. Stops everything that looks for Jesus, finds Jesus, collapses before him in breathless gratitude falls flat on his face at his feet, and cries amid euphoric tears, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much, Jesus. Then, as you've already seen, in the latter part of verse 16, comes this kicker, intentionally mentioned by Luke, for emphasis sake, where Luke goes in the middle of the account, oh, and by the way, you guys, this guy was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. Two weeks ago, we spoke about how hated Samaritans were in the ancient world, in Jerusalem at least. And in that message, we we saw that the Samaritan hero of of Jesus' parable was just a fictitious person. He was a metaphor that we were to become as we lived the Christian life. But here we find an actual living, breathing, real Samaritan who is exemplifying and capturing what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And again, there's a lot in the text that we will never know because this is in a Samaritan um, territory. It's possible that there were other Samaritans in this group. And yet, judging by Jesus' response to it, it appears very likely that the other nine were very possibly Jewish people who had been kicked out of Jerusalem and, and sent to this Samaritan leper colony. But regardless of what is up and down as far as that goes, here is what matters. That in the ancient world, there was nothing lower than this guy was. Now, the most malicious insult that the religious leaders could hiss at Jesus was the slander that he was a Samaritan with a demon. That's something that they said to him. But this man is even lower than that, if it were true about Jesus. All of this time, he had been a Samaritan with leprosy. But now he's been set free from all of that. And Jesus has just given him a brand new beginning. And this guy whose name we will never even know, he then does something that is so powerful and holy that is a lesson to the nine. But, but especially it's a lesson to me as well as to you this morning. And that is a heart that is bursting and overflowing with gratitude, with thanksgiving, and with worship. As Jesus sent them to the priest, notice that he does not say to the ten, hey, you guys better get back here and get down on your knees and say thank you. Jesus never says that. And that's because Jesus has and Jesus never will be interested in, in a theocracy, or in enforced worship where where you have to be a Christian and you have to, to worship and to say thank you to me. But rather what the Samaritan who returns is exemplifying to us is that he's not there worshiping Jesus in the dirt because he had to, but rather he's saying thank you to Jesus because he couldn't help but to. He's worshiping Jesus. He's saying thank you because he wanted to. Because it was coming from the overflow of his heart. It was the desire of his soul. And so we read in verse 17. Then Jesus answered, "We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God? And I love this part except this foreigner, except for this foreigner. You know, that is the word that was etched in the temple of Jerusalem, in the court of the Gentiles. You see the sign, no foreigners are allowed beyond this part. Got to be a Hebrew male to go even further in. That's the world this guy was living in. He was forbidden entrance, he was forbidden access, he was was forbidden proximity to the nearness of God. Let no foreigner ever enter. He couldn't go into the inner court of the temple. He definitely could not go into the holy place, or the most holy place, the holy of holies. But what he could do, and I think he realized this, he couldn't do all of those religious gymnastics over there, but he could bow before Jesus. He could give tearful things, He could offer worship at his sandals and rejoice for what God had done for him. And as for me, no, I don't want to worship Jesus. I want to worship Jesus like the foreigner who came back to say thank you. When I sing, I want to sing with a loud voice, as if it is just God and me, and not care who hears it, or how impressive, or how pitiful my singing may be to other people. When I pray, I want to fall flat on my face before the throne of God, as if it is just Him and me, and I am crying out for His rescue, and for His healing for the first time in my life. I don't want to worship like a Pharisee. I spent a lifetime worshiping like a Pharisee and thinking like a Pharisee, but here is what changed my heart from wanting to do that anymore. Just before Jesus goes to the cross, he's, He's now in Jerusalem. Jesus is having a meal at the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And Simon the Pharisee, once upon a time, used to be a a leper. He had leprosy at one point. He's been cleansed of his leprosy, or it wasn't a, a severe case perhaps, and he's going about his life now. But as Jesus enters his home, he does not greet Jesus as every single Jewish host greeted a guest. He denies Jesus the cultural greeting of a kiss on the cheek. He refuses to stoop down and wash Jesus' feet in a basin of water. And yet then, as Jesus is conversing, there is a woman who just barges into Simon's house uninvited. She crashes his dinner party. And as soon as she catches her first glimpse of Jesus seated at his table, her tears begin to, or her eyes begin to flood with tears. And that's because she too had been branded with the title of Sinner with a capital S. She knows, as well as everybody else, that she has done horrible, terrible things in her life, and not that long ago at that. She knows that, and she feels that in her heart of hearts. And so what she does is she takes the most expensive bottle of perfume that anybody in the house had ever seen in their lives, smashes the top of it, pours it over the head of Jesus starts washing his feet, not with water, but with the tears that are pouring out of her eyelids. Well, when Jesus' disciples see the way that she worships, they begin responding just like the Pharisees did. They begin criticizing the way that she worshiped. They start throwing the flag on her like a football referee. It's like, what is she doing? No, no, she's doing that the wrong way. She's not supposed to be doing it like that. She's not doing it the right way. Simon the Pharisee seeing all of this, and I've got another flag, Simon the Pharisee says, if Jesus really were a teacher, he would know that a sinner was touching him. That's how they respond to this. That's how, so oftentimes, I respond to the worship of other people in my life. And yet again, there is such a difference between the way God sees it and the way that man sees it. As Jesus receives this worship from this woman, he sees something that is breathtakingly beautiful. This is a exquisite outpouring of worship in the eyes of Jesus. This is something that is coming from the depths of this woman's soul. And that's because he knows that the head that she's pouring all of this exorbitant perfume upon in just a matter of hours is going to have a crown of thorns gouged into it. So as we stand in the house of Simon the leper, we've got all of these religious enforcers throwing flags all over the place. But none of them are worshipping. There's only one worshipper in this house. And of all people, it is the pariah. It's the woman. It's the sinner with a capital S. And Jesus rebukes his disciples and he rebukes all the times that I've thrown the flag in judgment on the worship of other people. <laughs> Jesus throws a flag on them. And he says, leave that woman alone. Do you guys see what she's doing to, for me? This Pharisee who, who has all of this religious knowledge, okay... He invites me over to his house, but he wouldn't wash my, my feet with, with water. This woman wasn't even invited, and she's washing my feet with her tears. With her tears. When I walked through his, his house, Simon wouldn't kiss me on my cheek. But from the moment that she got here, she has not stopped kissing my feet. All his disciples, as well as Simon, could do was criticize her. But all that Jesus could do is just close his eyes and savor a sweet and a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice. Jesus says, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing for me. And as he says, truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel will ever be preached in the whole world, throughout all of the ages, what this woman done will be remembered and will be told. And I think Jesus may have been on to something there because more than two millennia later, here I am doing just exactly that. So cool. Last week, I was having a conversation with with, uh, Denise. And before our worship started, I was all wrapped up. I was all worried that, you know, because we have multiple song leaders, our songs might overlap. And she's like, David, David, David. Even if we do sing the same songs, have the same song on the sheet, who cares, more or less, right? (laughs) Even if we came in here and just just sang sang the same same song, song. every Every single song was 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 Amazing amazing grace, Grace or leaning on the everlasting arms, I don't think God cares. Why should I care about that, right? And the things that I prioritize that really don't matter in the eyes of God. Thank you, sister, for helping me see that. As we close this morning in time, Jesus would do something even more astounding than cleansing leprosy. Soon Jesus in the Gospels is going to be cleansing sin. And so we read in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 that, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse, hear that word, and to cleanse our souls from all of our unrighteousness. We might say this morning it's a cleanse us from our spiritual leprosy. So the question that we are confronted with this morning, as well as in the days ahead, God willing, is are we walking with the nine? We have faith, and that's good. I'm sure there is gratefulness in our hearts, but, or are we like the Samaritan who expresses that gratitude to God? who stops, who slows his thoughts down, who who bows before Jesus just to say thank you. And so once again, for the second straight message, the invitation of heaven is, be the Samaritan. No, I don't want to worship anymore like a prim and proper Pharisee. I don't want to spend my days condemning the heartfelt worship of others as an inferior waste. If I were to live that way, that would be the only waste. (laughs) No, I I want to worship like a sinner who knows that they're a sinner, who's so heartbroken over her sin that she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears and is anointing him with the most lavish, Sacrifice that she can bring before him. I don't want to be like the nine who just kept on walking. I want to be like the foreigner who could not take one more step forward until he hit the ground and fallen before Jesus and cried out to him just to say, thank you, thank you, thank you.